0: what is the setup here? I mean who's your boss? God. What? My boss is God. I'm an angel. I'm one of the best, but I try. And I make mistakes. Because guess he figures the only way I'm going to learn is by mistakes. I'm kind of new at this.
1: Hello. Welcome to Highway to Heaven Revisited. Hosted by Rachel Mayer and Joel Bluters. With moderator, Sam Hine.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the sixth episode of your favorite podcast all about Highway to Heaven. It is called Highway to Heaven Revisited, and it is hosted by your two favorite Highway to Heaven pals on the journey, the indomitable Rachel Mayer. Hello. Rachel, how are you today? I'm
3: doing great. How are you doing, Sam?
2: I'm doing very well. Thanks for asking. And immediately to her right is the one and only Mr. Joel Luters. Hi, Sam. How are you? I'm doing quite well. Thanks for asking. Uh, Today we are covering Season 1, Episode 8. What is the title of today's program?
3: A Divine Madness.
2: Excellent. Right. That sounds intriguing already. How do we begin?
3: We're starting in a construction lot. The signs say it is Author, crock and Son Construction, and we see a convertible pulling into the construction lot. Out of the car gets out Mr. Croc, a young man.
4: Otherwise known as Commander Riker.
2: William Frakes is in this episode. Yes. That's right. He must be a young baby face. Does he have any facial hair? No. No, clean shaven. Mm -hmm. Oh, so he's like first season Star
4: Trek The Next Generation, like baby face, a little lanky. He gets out of the car and bumps into a guy in a construction helmet. This guy's name is Carl. Good morning, Mr. Croc.
3: Carl, how long have you been in this business?
4: Since your dad hired me 30 years ago.
3: Have you ever seen anyone like this Halstead woman?
4: Me and your dad have seen our share of kooks in our time.
3: She asked to meet with me this morning. I'm trying to be nice to her, you know.
4: She can't leave the land because of her dogs.
3: She's got 200 of them out there. What'll happen to the dogs, she says. I tell her, turn them loose. They're carnivores. She expects me to pass on a $20 million project for a bunch of mutts that she rescued from the pound?
4: Well, people can be attached to their pets.
3: I swear my father is not the only lunatic running around loose these days.
4: Well... Your sister's waiting for you in the office.
3: Great. That's all I need. I wish she'd just get married already, so she'd get off my case, start worrying about her nails like any normal woman her age.
2: Okay. There's <laughs> nobody on the face of the planet who is going to marry a woman with 200 dogs in the mountain.
3: <laughs> it is getting confusing is. already, right. okay?
2: And what what was the oh dad's problem?
3: I really think we should just keep going. I'm yeah. really
2: fixated by the 200 dogs. But
3: you picked up on 200 dogs and dad. It'll work itself out. Okay. Art Kroc Jr. slash Riker, he walks into the construction office. He sees his sister Linda, and Linda is kind of getting on his case about why he doesn't visit dad more. Dad used to be a giant of industry. He built this huge construction company, and now dad doesn't even recognize his son.
2: So he has a debilitating disease, some sort of dementia. He
3: actually thinks his son is Sir Lancelot.
2: Whoa. Mm -hmm. He's really off this (laughs) crocker.
3: I don't want to diagnose him quite quite yet but something's a little off
2: yeah we'll leave that to the show our father is on
0: mars linda it's not easy taking care of him keeping that huge house up i told you yesterday the handyman quit again that's the third one this month
4: this whole thing isn't on your shoulders you've got a housekeeper
0: you know how old marion is she can't do that much anymore
4: well then fire her and get somebody who can
0: you can't just throw people away like that
4: that's what i'd do if i were you you gotta start
2: thinking about your life too You ought to get rid of the old woman, put Dad in a nice,
0: comfortable home somewhere, and then sell that white elephant of a house. It's an eyesore anyway. That's exactly what I'd do. I know. But luckily, you take care of Dad's business. I take care of Dad.
2: You're on her side, aren't you, Joel? You're not buying this uh, clean slate fresh start get rid of things this is against your ethos
4: you know the only way to get through things is to get through them because those problems are still just going to chase you and you're going to find them in the new location did you have any feelings of betrayal when
2: watching jonathan frakes demonstrate the antithesis of your ethos while i'm a huge
4: fan of star trek i was much more of a team data and wharf that's a good top two
3: i can safely assume both of you watched a lot of Star Trek growing up. Since I've met Joel, I have watched Star Trek. Your family are big Star Trek fans. Yes,
4: that was the one show, I think, that united our whole family.
2: The siblings are in total diametric opposition with each other.
4: Dad's got problems, and they can't agree how to handle it. Commander Riker says, well, you know what? I'll just go down to the agency and pick up two more handymen. (laughs) Oh, there's just an agency with handymen (laughs) waiting in the lobby?
3: There is a temp agency for handymen, apparently, because he's going to go down to the temp agency. That's apparently how jobs were gotten, at least in the Jonathan and Michael. What are their names?
4: It's Mark and John. Their names But anymore. we always call them Vincent and... <laughs> Victor, Victor and uh, <laughs> Michael Landon. But then in walks John and says, Hi, I'm John, and the agency sent us over here. We're your new handymen. And he says, Uh, you mean the agency I haven't dialed the phone number of yet?
3: Riker actually says, Speak of the devil, to which Mark kind of says under his breath, oh, You might want to choose different words.
2: The D word. <laughs> that might blow up your coffee maker.
3: You know, this is our setup now. Jonathan and Mark just show up, and they get jobs. Nobody really questions where they came from. At this point, they're just happy to have the position filled. The little bit more that we find out, Riker does tell Jonathan and Mark, the job is not hard work, which we'll find out is not really true, because the house seems to be falling apart. Is it
2: like a Grey Gardens
4: level of dilapidation? (laughs) Not quite, but it could be there.
3: Yeah, I'd say give it five years. So they're saying the job is not that hard. Riker says, my dad is the problem. If you two new handymen make it a month, I'm going to double your pay.
2: Pay. Whoa! They won't make it a month. They're in town for four days tops. tops. But that is a hell of an offer.
3: Joel and I spent a summer working in Yellowstone National Park, and generally the companies give you an end-of-season bonus. It's not doubling your pay, but if you make it through the whole season, you get a nice bonus on your paycheck. And the thing we found out is hardly anybody makes it to the end of the season. <laughs> wow! Including us. Sounds like this might be a similar work situation I that Jonathan and be. Mark are getting into. What we're actually going to find out, Sam, is what the real problem is. Here. We've been kind of tiptoeing around. Something's crazy about dad. Why is the job so hard? Here's what's going on with dad. He thinks he's King Arthur.
4: Oh dear. Please tell me it's Robert Goulet. It's Ron Moody. Do you remember the Disney movie from '95, A Kid in King Arthur's Court? Vaguely. Uh, he played Merlin. Kind of, he did a lot of comedy, but also he would do serious, like, detective roles for television. He was, like, in some Mel Brooks films in the 70s. So he would do, like, he would go from slapstick to plain detectives.
2: Oh, excellent. He also smacks, like, a character out of a Terry Gilliam film. Is it a bit of a Fisher King scenario?
3: A little less fantastical,
2: I would say. A little more practical. Yeah. Is he kind of like that loopy guy who was in that
4: Spielberg movie Hook? I lost me
2: marbles.
4: Yes, but he's a Henry Ford who's lost his marbles and has embraced that. Does he have like a ramshackle kitchen
2: Made outfit?
3: No, he's got multiple clothing changes with the full outfit. Crown, little legging tunic. things. Tunic. Tunic. He is exactly what you would be picturing.
4: Here's a guy who can afford the clothes. Right. Where do those clothes come from? Did he... Renfest for several seasons because the house is a castle
3: white stone turreted it doesn't have a moat and drawbridge but it's got that big arched wooden doorway that you have to go through
4: you know with the spikes (laughs) at the top it's It's got a legit gate yeah
3: like it's it's like like a a mansion
4: castle
3: It's a castle. If you're picturing McMansion, picture about five times bigger.
4: It's not a castle made of like hand-cut stone. Instead, let's say 1960 and you're like, I've got $500,000. Let's build a castle out here in Malibu.
3: So the backstory that the show gives us, Arthur, this father, this titan of business, loved his wife. Linda's telling the story so she says he loved my mom so much that when he made his first million, he wanted them to live happily ever after. How do you live Happily Ever After in your castle. So dad built mom a castle after he made his first million.
2: He didn't necessarily start buying King Arthur clothes and building a castle house after he went loony. No. He built the castle house when he was sound of mind as a romantic gesture to his then wife.
3: And you know, what do you think? Who sounds dead. She is dead. What happened was he wasn't satisfied with the castle and the million dollars. He continued to work so hard and he was never at home with his family and linda his daughter says he didn't even realize how much he loved his wife until after she died this
2: is a sad sad story for crock senior pretty tragic actually lucky for him he doesn't remember any of it anymore
3: After mom died, and he's just holed up in his castle, the son basically took over the running of the business. And at some point, dad didn't know who he was.
4: Found himself in a castle.
3: And his name is Arthur. So clearly, he must be King Arthur. So from that day forward, he took on the persona of King Arthur.
4: And he thought of his son as Sir Lancelot. This is a big psychological break.
3: Where did he get all the clothes? I'm wondering if he just purchased them for fun before he had this break- with reality Mm -hmm. and just did a little like, cosplay with the family or maybe he intended to but he never got around to it because the clothes are all still in really good
4: shape i think that's a really good theory because first he probably bought the castle and that wasn't enough how can we turn this up we're just regular people living in a castle well let's wear period authentic
2: pieces and be the weirdos who dress up in costume when uh, they invite friends over for dinner
4: so now let's also buy some weapons and And a horse there is a trusty steed
3: the alternate theory is that after he had this break with reality his his family went out and bought him all these clothes.
2: And I assume that the halls are adorned with like suits of armor
4: or like sharp things on yeah, the walls.
3: There's a throne room.
4: This location is called the Malibu Castle. And there have been other television shows that have used this as a set, including the TV movie, The Ring of Musketeers. Everyone remembers that one. It's a three Musketeers story starring David Hasselhoff, Alison Doody, and Cheech Marn.
2: Oh, Alison Doody. was Alison Doody? Oh my
4: goodness. She? Is Ilsa
2: the Nazi lady from Indiana Jones and the Last <laughs> okay, Crusade? Okay. Hubba, hubba! <laughs> Allison Duty, if you're out there, Sam Single, what's up? How's, how's it going, <laughs>
4: Mister Jones?
2: <laughs> That's no way to ingratiate Allison in Duty by doing a spot-on impression <laughs> to her face. She will not like it, Joel. I'm not going to do it.
1: All right. I
0: can't forget how wonderful it was.
2: Allison, just uh, feel free to email me at highway to heaven at gmail.com and I will take you out to dinner. A fancy, fancy one.
4: <laughs> or you can call 612 356 2495. That's
2: my number, Allison Duty. Get at me. Not kidding.
3: What a deal. Anyone else who's not Allison, probably. Shouldn't call, though, right? That's just a deal for her. Yeah, you this get, is... You might get overwhelmed with Oh, calls, yeah, okay. Yeah.
2: Well, I'm glad you think so. That is an exclusive Alice in Duty offer. I'll keep you updated should that change.
3: That's how Austrians say goodbye. So we're at the castle.
4: John and Mark have walked in with Linda. We hear a shout from upstairs. Linda! Who are these people?
3: (laughs) That's exactly what it sounded like. We first meet King Arthur, Arthur Croc Sr. slash dad. He is actually at the top of a staircase, crouched down, sort of hiding behind the banister. And he's yelling, who are these people? They're here to kidnap me. They're spies. Merlin sent them. They're going to laugh at me going to laugh at you and then linda tries to convince him i need help father they're here to take care of the castle there are new workers but he's not buying it because
2: you're dressed like king friday dude
3: but who steps up to bat
2: michael landon of course your
0: majesty may i speak i suppose so your majesty we're just two poor men who've come here to ask you for work nothing more we mean you no harm why do you call me your majesty For the same reason you wear a crown. Well, that's another story then. I'll accept them as grooms, as squires. Play your cards right, you might even get to be knights. It won't be easy. It's not easy being a knight, not easy being a king either.
3: I did like Jonathan a lot in this scene because King Arthur's looking pretty ridiculous and Jonathan is just treating him so respectfully. It was very nice.
4: Both being respectful to his uh, delusion, not like out and out lying or talking down to him.
3: Right. Very sincere, not saccharine at all, which we have seen throughout this series that he is genuinely a kind man and it does bring down the defenses of King Arthur.
2: That's a great way to start a conversation with a kid is if they come up to you and say, You're Captain Hook. And then you're like, yes, I am Captain Hook. Then you're on the ride with him. And yeah. if you say, no,
4: I'm not a pirate, then they're like, oh, boring grown up. See you no later. Fun. Then Mark turns to John. He's like, wow, well, that old guy, he really thinks he's King Arthur.
3: Jonathan responds, what's so strange about that? You think I'm an angel. What? Jonathan's smiling at Mark when he says that line.
2: It just turns out to be an elaborate human con. Oh, my
3: goodness. (laughs) Not
2: perpetuated by any angel magic whatsoever, which would lead me to a lot of questions. Yeah,
3: especially considering how many more episodes there are of this show. So we're moving to a new location. We're outdoors, and we meet an older woman, maybe late 60s, early 70s. She's wearing work clothes, and she's carrying two big metal buckets.
4: And two dogs are following along.
3: This is the woman who was referenced at the very start of the show who owns 200 dogs.
2: The dog lady's an old lady up in the woods?
3: Correct. Her name is Gwen Halstead. And into the scene comes Linda with Mark and Jonathan in a truck with the horse behind them get out of the truck and meet right. Gwen. Linda tells Gwen that she's here to see the vet. Gwen says, oh, he's in He's in the house. Go on in. You'll find him in the house. She makes some comment about the vet won't be too busy if there's an animal in need. And so Linda goes in the house and then Jonathan asks Gwen if he can help her with the buckets. And she says, no, I'm good with these ones, but there's a lot more because she's got 200 dogs to feed. So Jonathan's going to help out again.
2: 200 dogs. I mean, daily, how much dog food is that?
3: A lot.
2: So is Linda, the daughter of the dog lady, or is she the daughter of King Arthur?
3: Linda is King Arthur's daughter. So, so far, we've got King Arthur who has two children Linda, the daughter who is now at the vet, and then the son, Riker. We'll come back to later. Gwen, Mrs. Halstead, is the older woman with the dogs. She has a son too. He is the vet.
2: Okay. I'm Ooh. on board with All you right.
4: guys.
3: So now we're going to go inside and have a little interaction with the vet, Dr. Halstead. Or Bobby. Bobby.
4: Bobby Halstead.
3: So the vet's packing up everything and Linda kind of interrupts him and he's like, What are you doing?
4: She interrupts him. She does with her instrups. <laughs>
3: I'm, I'm having a hard time with this one. Guys.
4: She pulls out her interrupts and interrupts him. Yes. And he says, hey, you want to buy 20 or 30 dogs?
3: And she's like, I might take a puppy. (laughs) So that would kind of help.
4: She's like, why? He's like, I got to get rid of 200 dogs by tomorrow because of this guy named Art Croc. This jerk is making us move. So the old lady and her son live there together on this property.
2: And the dogs have accumulated because not only is there a veterinarian on premises, but there's also a dog lady on premises.
3: Yeah, it seems to be some kind of animal rescue organization station but that is highly understaffed if it's two people to 200 dogs i think
4: my guess is that she goes to a no no kill pound she buys them before they get executed cuz i mean if you do that once or twice when do you stop
3: i wonder if she spends yeah. much time marketing to try to get the dogs adopted It doesn't seem like it.
4: I don't know. Maybe there were 300 dogs there a month ago. Maybe.
2: The time alone for all of those different Craigslist postings per dog, you can't even get that amount of work done in 24 hours. So I guess I don't blame the
4: veterinarian for trying to sell 30 dogs at once.
3: Yeah. And how on earth were they doing that in 1984?
4: With a staple gun and like you cut the bottoms of the paper to tear off a little tab. Yeah, you had to go find access to a Xerox machine somewhere (laughs) and some teacher's uh, copy code.
3: And when would she have time to do any? of that she's spending all day feeding these dogs
4: yeah if she's only carrying two buckets at a time
3: she should have gotten a wheelbarrow or something
4: i don't know if you went and helped her out and got her a wheelbarrow she might be able to find the room to just adopt four or five hundred dogs
3: you're just enabling her
2: we have like parallel enabled characters
4: this one
3: lady has
2: been enabled to a population of 200 dogs on her property a rental property yes and uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Mr. Arthur Croc Sr. has been enabled to living out his renaissance fantasy up on the hill all by his lonesome until he actually drank his own Kool-Aid. Do
3: you think it might be possible that two enabled people might find the perfect match in each other? I
2: Maybe. doubt it. On a show like this, when would that even be a plausible sort of plot line? Moving you're on. You're right. You're the, right. Yuck. Your speculation
4: disgusts me.
3: <laughs> so we're at the vet.
4: And we see Bobby, who is freaking handsome, by the way. He's got a nice helmet of brown luscious hair wearing a blue polo t-shirt giving the bedroom eyes to linda
3: i really wasn't paying attention to what the characters look
2: like
4: but you wanted mm-hmm. that guy and linda to get together immediately joel oh yeah i thought it might solve some problems but that okay. could
3: never happen because linda suddenly realizing her brother is the one kicking them off the property romeo and juliet action here.
4: star-crossed lovers
3: but this guy what's his name handsome bobby he's a pretty nice guy once linda realizes the situation she tells bobby she doesn't expect him to treat her horse.
4: She confesses to it. She says, that's my brother.
3: If I had known, I wouldn't have come here. Anything you could say about my brother, I would agree
2: with you.
4: Wow. So she she knows. Awkward.
3: And he says, handsome Bobby that he is, he says, we don't turn away sick animals on this land, which... Maybe gives us a hint how they ended up with so many dogs. Yeah, duh. So heroic, handsome Bobby is going to treat the horse. And now we go out and meet the horse for the first time. Horse is named Galahad, Snow White Stallion. The vet Bobby actually comments on the horse's age. Apparently it's an elderly horse. And he says,
0: I wouldn't think a man like your brother would keep a horse this old. You have to love an animal a lot to take care of it this long.
3: He's my father's horse. But you'd treat him even if you thought it was my brother's, wouldn't you?
0: It's not a horse's fault he has a jackass for a master.
3: My father's not like my brother, Dr. Halstead.
0: You don't seem like your brother either.
4: I liked the idea of thinking that a donkey owned a horse.
3: <laughs> what? So at this point in the story, Sam, do you feel like you're tracking with what's going on at all?
2: There's two old people. One hoards animals. The other is on a constant cosplay daydream with a real live horsey. We got a couple kids in play and a veterinarian. That's pretty good. Hot veterinarian, an available daughter, and and Commander Riker is a big jackass.
3: And I just want to say Linda's no slouch, the daughter. She's pretty cute.
2: I am glad that there's potential for a romantic story where people actually might touch each other rather than just Michael Landon dangling the magic angel Carrot.
3: Yeah and in our last episode we did have an almost kiss between yeah. two of the characters but remember we couldn't quite tell what couldn't was happening. not quite tell. They were talking
4: yeah. into each other's open mouths. Oh just whispering into mouths. Yeah. So then John and Gwen the animal hoarder they're outside you know slopping the dogs. She's like yep well I don't know what I'm gonna do with these 200 dogs. I'm leaving tomorrow. And uh, he's like well why don't you just go and talk to Arthur Sr.
3: And she says well I've already met his son. I'm sure they're exactly alike. There's no point in talking to the dad. He's going to be just like his son
4: you know like the old saying right a fish smells from the head up
3: yeah you've heard that before right
4: no but it's basically an apple doesn't fall far from the tree
3: yeah i've met his type before
4: michael and like oh
3: you've never met anyone like arthur senior before
4: and he convinces her well all right i guess i will go talk to him about saving my land i have nothing else to lose Kind of a frequent theme here When people are in dire straits It's like Well might as well Gamble this one dollar
3: Give it a shot So we're gonna go back To the castle now This is a wonderful scene We're in the throne room
2: And (laughs) King Arthur
3: Is sitting on his throne Mark is polishing A giant sword And Jonathan Is polishing A suit of armor
2: Do Mark and Jonathan Get a new uniform For this particular (laughs) job Are they dressed As little page boys
3: Now that you mention it They should have been They're not King Arthur Is the only one in costume
4: And uh At this moment, Gwen shows up at the door.
3: Arthur ends up answering the door himself. The first thing she says is, I didn't know you were having a costume party. And then he goes back into his usual paranoia that people are going to laugh at him. So he pretty much slams the door in her face and goes stomping back into the throne room. And Jonathan has to intervene a little bit. And he Hmm. says, your majesty, that's one of your subjects. She came here to petition you.
4: And he's like, oh, when was the last time a lady in distress needed me?
3: I believe he says that's never happened before.
4: I have no
2: reason to believe that isn't the truth. It right. <laughs> sounds like a very hardworking, focused individual before he decided to enjoy his third act as a constant cosplayer. He
3: just needed a little vacation.
4: Then the king turns to John and he's like, oh, okay, a lady in distress. I can't say no to her. Okay, ask her in. But first, John, how do I look? And he fixes his tunic. Then John goes and gets Gwen and brings her in, holding her hand. She calls up to him, you know, hey, Croc. And King Arthur's like, Jonathan, why does she call me Croc? And she's like, oh my gosh, this guy's a fruitcake.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: he
4: yeah. Is.
3: And then he starts getting upset about her not curtsying. And at <sighs> this point, we find out that Gwen is short for Guinevere.
0: What did she say? Uh, she said her name was Gwen. That's short for Guinevere. Guinevere. You are Guinevere. Well, I, I haven't been called that in years, but... That's my name.
2: And coincidentally, this is the other piece in the whole King Arthur story, right?
3: Yes, I guess for anyone who's not familiar with the King Arthur story, Guinevere is a pivotal character.
2: Well, what a stunning coincidence.
3: It only gets better because once King Arthur realizes he is in the presence of Guinevere, he gets down on one knee and begins to apologize. My lady,
0: can you ever forgive me? I... Uh, For so long, I have been lost. For so long, lost in fear. Fear of not being Arthur. For if I am not King Arthur, then I am worse than lost. I am mad, but I must be king, for my lady Guinevere has come back to me. I... I am not who you think I am
3: look i'm just a lady whose name is gwen and he says if you're just a lady whose name is guinevere then let me just be a man whose name is arthur
4: and as the audience were like oh okay well at least they've met in the middle somewhere but if this was happening in real life, you'd kind of still hold Gwen accountable. But really, what yeah. should
3: she do in that situation? I mean, short of just leaving.
4: Right. She did more than I would have.
3: It is an awkward situation.
4: Some crazy person getting on their knees and kissing your hand and being like, you're the woman I've been looking for. At this point, one could surmise Michael Landon's motives are
2: this. When crazy dog lady in the mountain says, I need a place to shove 200 dogs by tomorrow afternoon. Michael Landon says, don't worry. I know a clinically insane rich person up the other hill let's go to his house
4: jonathan and gwen walk outside and she turns to jonathan like hey you know that arthur means well but man he's crazy thanks for trying. And then she gets inside of her white convertible Volkswagen bug and drives off.
3: It has a cute little car. She had on black Chuck Taylors too.
2: You seem a
4: bit tired by the whole premise
2: of this one.
3: Yeah, maybe it's just something about, you know, rich old white men in his castle on the hill and everybody's having to appease him. But let's, let's keep going. It's nighttime. Arthur is standing on the turret of his castle and Jonathan's down below literally talking up to King Arthur.
2: Kind of like that scene from Holy Grail. that fart in your general direction
3: he tells him your majesty you have to do battle tomorrow you have to go fight for the lady guinevere's rights
4: but he's like i can't
3: king arthur is afraid to go out because he's afraid that they'll take away his dream of being king arthur probably if i leave the property
2: true. they'll escort me to a long-term care
4: facility right yeah. possibly. a psychic a psychological ward and john's like you know what arthur if you don't go you are no king and you know i speak the truth
2: so my Michael Landon is going to pit father against son at the dog farm. Yep. Are they going to have a jousting match on like Mastiffs? <laughs> what? Are there going to be Great Danes involved, a little
4: jousting? That
3: is crazy, Sam.
4: That's very close.
3: That would never happen.
4: Come on. So Arthur gives us a bit of a monologue, and he says, Well, then grant me the courage to go out into the world. Never let the jeers of those who laugh at me drown out the voice of truth, the voice of truth that you plant in all men. Give me courage to dream dreams and strength to make them real. And if this be madness, let it only serve your purpose, and I'll envy no man the world world calls sane
3: thunder and lightning boom it's like god is applauding the speech and jonathan looks heavenward and kind of smiles like thanks big dude i mean who doesn't like a big inspirational speech especially one that's applauded by god himself right,
4: right? oh yeah i'll envy no
2: man the world calls sane Ooh. in some ways he's saying i'm insane and i don't care yeah i know yeah. i'm insane and i don't care
3: and there's something about that that i really like To some extent, it was really playing on my heartstrings a little bit. You know, who hasn't felt that fear of being laughed at by the masses? I like the way Jonathan is just stepping into this man's reality and accepting it and not judging him. I'm totally down with that. I don't get this whole storyline, though. Why do we have all these Dogs. Why are we just going along with him being in a castle? It's really confusing. (laughs)
2: Just irresponsible children. Neither of these two grown-up children wanted to take any responsibility for their kooky dad, probably because they got a lot of daddy issues. It sounded like they wanted dad to be of sound mind so they could have him pay for what he did to them during their childhoods. And now that he's off of his rocker, they're like, oh, you're King Arthur now. Well, isn't that convenient for you? Good work, Dad. It's still all about you. We
3: don't get a lot of information about Linda's backstory. We know that Riker Art Jr. is pretty pissed at Dad. He's not interested in entering this fake reality, this Camelot world. But Linda seems to have been living with it. She seems
4: to be the peacemaker.
3: Right. She's not necessarily actively engaging in this alternate reality, but she's not trying to talk him out of it either. And I'm guessing she's the one who's making sure the costumes are getting cleaned, everything's being kept in good order
4: that's why she hasn't had any time to worry about things like other women her age like her nails
3: you know we really didn't talk about that line (laughs) maybe that line at the very start of the episode just flipped a switch
2: in me i wish she'd get married already so she'd get off my case Started worrying about her nails like any normal woman her age. These are heavy, heavy triggers. I remember old guys in my small town in Midwest USA would just say some weird stuff to my mom that I didn't understand.
3: It was a different time.
2: It's not okay. No. It wasn't okay then, and it's not okay now. That's why we're here to do this podcast. We're here to fix things.
3: Yep, we're going to really work through all of our issues.
4: And maybe, hopefully, some of our uh, listeners. It's a, it's a pact. It's a blood pact. So if you have any issues out there, any personal issues, any familial issues, give us a call on our hotline and uh, let us know.
3: And please, anyone who has any experience with a parent taking on a role from a character in the Camelot drama, let us know. That would be really interesting.
2: That number for the hotline to heaven is 612-356-2495. Call now! Where were we, guys?
4: We're getting to the showdown.
3: We are back at Gwen's house. Gwen and her son, the handsome veterinarian, are standing outside, staring down a bulldozer from the Crock Construction Company that has come to level the kennels, the house. I'm not sure exactly, but this is the day they're getting evicted.
4: The two to 300 dogs off screen are going to get squashed by the bulldozer.
3: Not much barking, though.
4: Commander Riker wastes no time. This is a man of action.
3: Yeah, I think he learned from the best. So we've got a bulldozer. We've got Gwen and her son, the vet. Who should come into the scene next?
4: One healthy old horse, and on its back, in full armor. Full armor and a big old jouston pole it's king arthur, it's king arthur. Oh, God. Yep. the horse is also dressed up too
3: the horse has got the horse armor on king arthur's got his whole set of armor face shield down very renaissance festival-ish
4: the horse has armor yep and kind of a yellow and white striped pattern
3: that's what i call horse armor
4: you know i'm trying to do
2: a little riff occasionally and keep the story moving along with you guys and sometimes i think i would really lob a softball out there that couldn't possibly be where the show goes and it's just a joke so i'm actually disappointed
3: there's no dogs involved in the joust though
2: well it doesn't surprise me that there will be no dogs involved in the joust because if a human male gets on a dog of any size it's really not good for the dog but if they had set it up where arthur senior was going to joust a child (laughs) Mm. well that's just a missed opportunity
3: are you guys game of thrones fans
2: no i hate fantasy yeah
3: i knew that what about you sam
2: uh i've watched every episode i I like that okay
3: so i've read all the books i didn't really get into the show i highly expected the dire wolves to be involved in some jousting battles Mm -hmm. and i was actually really disappointed that didn't happen in the show did it
2: no oh okay and i would say that the last two or three seasons of that show were very light on the dire wolves unfortunately that's what i've heard oh boy are we done Well, I don't know, Joel. Uh, Let's just point out a little bit of hypocrisy on your side of the table. Uh, I don't like fantasy, but (laughs) Time Bandits is an amazing movie, and I'll talk about it for
4: four hours at your house with you, no problem.
3: Yeah, tell us what your definition of fantasy is, Joel. Uh It's really
4: anything involving magic. You're
3: cool with Jurassic Park. Yes. But Lord of the Rings is a pass.
4: Correct. Okay. I do like Gorman Guest. And it's fantasy. Who you is think? the
3: author of that series?
4: Mervyn
2: Peake. Yeah. All right, so King Arthur is there in full regalia. How does he break the ice?
3: He calls out a challenge to the bulldozer.
0: Brave knight, rein your
1: dragon in or
0: defend yourself. Oh, get out of my way, you maniac. Maniac! For that, the dragon shall die. challenge
3: The bulldozer takes a pretty serious hit, and it results in flames.
4: His bulldozer. (laughs) The bulldozer driver hops off, and it turns out it's Carl that we saw at the beginning. I barely remember Carl. (laughs) It was hours ago.
3: I barely remembered Carl, too.
4: Carl's the guy who's like, man, I worked for your dad for 30 years. He gave me my first job.
3: Well, he doesn't quite realize until Arthur lifts the visor on his suit of armor, and Carl's like, Arthur? Is that you? We were best friends. We've known each other for 30 years, and Arthur is upset and he's saying, if we're friends, why would you be taking advantage of this poor woman? This is not very noble. What are you doing? And Carl's, again, great example of just being really gentle, really sweet with Arthur. And he just says, we're friends. I don't have any battles with you, Arthur. You can see Arthur thinking a little bit. And he says, you speak like a friend.
2: It's odd to me that Carl is claiming to have been Arthur Sr.'s best friend, but doesn't know that he has a fancy horse costume.
3: Maybe they were just work friends maybe the costumes and the horse were purely family
4: time. That makes sense with the whole work friends because the idea that they could be work friends but still not realizing that he wears a tunic when he goes home.
3: It is a little bit of a stretch. I accept it. Carl says, you're, you're still my boss to Art Senior because technically he is still the head of the company yeah. and he says, I'll listen to you. If you want me to leave, I'll leave. Yeah. His fellow construction worker isn't buying it and he's like, man, this guy's crazy. What are you doing? We're not going to leave because this crazy guy on a horse came and told us to.
2: So Carl's there with with a new hire who got hired after croc senior disappeared into his castle i guess doesn't even recognize the man who signs his paychecks no
3: no and that's basically what carl says is this is our boss
2: this is his land
3: i'm gonna listen to him because of that yeah also because he's my friend and so they they leave the dogs are not going to get bulldozed at least this morning
2: do they just leave the bulldozer there smoking away (laughs) they do
3: it's not Actively on fire at that point. It was like a brief blaze and then it seems like it went out. So I don't think there's too big of safety concerns.
1: Highway to Heaven Revisited will return after a brief intermission. This is the intermission. It is happening right now. Please subscribe to Highway to Heaven Revisited wherever you get your podcasts. That way, you will never miss an episode. Visit our website, highwaytoheavenrevisited.com to listen to every episode of the podcast. While you are there, you will find links to our social media pages, contact information, and ways you can help support the show. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting Highway to on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash highwaytoheavenrevisited to see the variety of special perks exclusive to Patreon patrons. Is your company interested in sponsoring Highway to Heaven Revisited? Please send an email to revisited at gmail.com. Sam has been waiting his whole life to read your ads on the show. Intermission is over.
4: So we're back at the castle in the driveway, kind of near, not the drawbridge. What do you
3: call the big door in a castle that it's like the drawbridge? if it got lowered, but it's just a door. Let's just call it the big door.
4: The big door. Really
3: the g- big door.
4: How about the grand door?
3: Yes, I like it.
4: So they're outside at the grand door. John's there and Art Jr. pulls up in his sports car, hops out and he's got a newspaper in his hand and he's pissed.
3: He's mad because the local paper has published a human interest story written by our own Jonathan Smith entitled King Arthur Rides Again. So somehow Jonathan has found time to do an interview with a local newspaper writer, and they've published a story about King Arthur
2: within twenty-four hours of <laughs> arriving in this town. Yes, right. That's what he was doing before he had that little talking to King Arthur while oh yeah, in the probably tower scene, mm-hmm,
3: you know? because he was polishing the armor. And then we jumped ahead to nighttime, so we maybe had like a few hours in the early evening, late afternoon.
4: And Riker's like, "Look, you wrote this article. Are you some kind of spy that's come in here to like embarrass us?" John's like, "That's what." Your dad said to me on the first day. He thought we were spies. And you call your dad crazy.
2: Who's crazy now?
4: Some of that classic Landon Shame coming across. (laughs) That's right.
3: So Jonathan very dramatically encourages Riker to go talk to his dad. He says, Go in and talk to him. And Riker says, I'm through with talking. I'm not going to talk to my dad. I want to declare my dad incompetent. I'm actually going to sue to have him declared incompetent. Riker gets back in his little sports car, tries to leave.
2: Car doesn't work. Of
3: course the car doesn't work. Nope. One thing we've learned, if God doesn't want somebody to leave, the car's not going to work.
2: Do we have a running tally about malfunctioning cars thus far? It's easily one per episode. It's been
3: at least one per
2: episode. There was an episode where it seemed like there were multiple cars not functioning.
3: That was, I think, the pilot, the first two episodes. This one, there is a little twist. Just to make sure he's not going to leave, he is parked right under that grand doorway, which has spikes at the bottom of it it begins to lower
4: slowly lowering down and
3: Riker's starting to look really concerned he's still trying yeah. to get the car to move the spikes come down pierce through the roof of the car barely missing Riker that car is staying put
4: was it a cool car it was a blue convertible with a black rag top
3: there's a little comic aside while the spikes are slowly lowering we cut away to a shot of the horse Galahad doing that mr Ed Winnie lips open makes it look like the horse is laughing laughing at uh, Riker's peril. So obviously, Art Kroc Jr. is forced to go into the house. He wants to go in and just call for a ride. And that's what he does. He picks up the phone and he's calling for a ride. But while that is happening, of course, King Arthur comes down the stairs and there's a confrontation.
2: Father, son, a showdown for the ages. You
3: know it. Riker's like, you were never the father I wanted you to be. You paid for everything. You were too busy running your company. You were never there to be a dad for us.
4: And now you're clinically insane and that's just convenient for you. He basically says, like, look, here's what I've learned from you. What really matters, what's most important in life is the bottom line. It's about how those numbers add up. It's not about the words. It's not about what you say or what you do. It's all about do those numbers add up.
3: That's about it.
4: So he just says he's going to take it, and then he walks away.
3: Dramatic exit slamming the door.
2: Sounds like he's going to do it through his lawyers.
3: He's not getting on the horse, that's for sure.
2: Certainly not going to do it through jousting. There's there's
3: no dueling going to be happening. Okay, so we are are gonna cut scene we're back on top of the castle it's day the
4: balustrade king arthur is up there looking out and jonathan comes up and he brings him a cloak may i give you this cloak your majesty you could use some warmth
3: so they have some more touching dialogue
4: i would love to go through this i will be king arthur you can be jonathan a man sets out to build an empire why
3: ambition i'd say
4: is it a wicked thing
3: I don't think so. God gives us certain talents. I don't think it's a wicked thing if we want to use those talents.
4: Yes, that's right. I swear to you, Jonathan, it did not start out to be a wicked thing. Camelot, it was meant to be a special place, full of joy, not hatred, not sorrow. That's really dramatic, Joel. I uh, really
2: like what you're bringing
3: to I the table. I do too. Though. I do too. I'll get back in character here. Okay, I'm John. I know that, sire.
4: Then why did it happen? How did it happen?
3: Well, you know, there needs to be a balance. Ambition isn't the only gift we're given. We're given strength, courage, many things. When one of those outweighs all the others, we're out of balance. Like a man trying to carry a yoke with only one pail of water.
4: Then we cut to daughter Linda walking in and being like, hey, dad, you're going to get sued. Is she helping her brother sue her dad? No. She's again kind of trying to be the peacemaker.
3: She's gotten the summons to court.
4: While I was going through the script, looks like they cut out a section of this. Okay. Okay. I can't wait to open this Pandora's box of lost Linda. highway to heaven scenes. They cut right here after Jonathan says like, oh, you need some balance. It's like carrying one pail of water. Linda walks in and says, dad, you're getting sued. The dad's like, I love Jonathan. I didn't buy it. I don't think that Jonathan Magic got worked by just saying, hey, you need a little more balance in your life. I think something's missing here. And luckily found the missing scene in the script. So here's the part that got cut out.
3: Ambition causes so much pain and loneliness. If
4: only Merlin were here to work some magic, to cast some spells.
3: It doesn't take magic to cure loneliness. It just takes love. That's
4: too easy.
3: Easy for some, but very difficult for others. Sire, it takes a lot of courage to stand naked without any armor for protection. To open up your arms to another human being and say, I love you. That's as vulnerable as you'll be in this world, but it's worth it.
4: You're a strange man, Jonathan. What kingdom are you from?
3: A heavenly one, sire. That's pretty good. Okay, that that gives a little more information.
2: Yeah, I initially mocked it, but that's valid. And it's pretty rad that you could see half a missing scene there, Joel.
3: Yeah, and there's Jonathan just laying down some truth on King Arthur.
4: So then Linda shows up and says, I need you to listen to me. Your son...
3: The one you call Lancelot is going to sue you, just to make sure he understands.
4: We need to lawyer up. And he says, I know who will defend me. Jonathan will defend me.
3: His daughter says, if you go in with a handyman for a lawyer, they'll never never believe you. Like that's the biggest factor that's going to cause problems in mm-hmm. this trial of incompetence.
4: The nice thing that King Arthur says is there was once a boy who wanted a father, but instead he got promised an empire. Now that he can't have a father, he wants the empire. I get it. This so makes
2: much. no sense. So much. <laughs>
4: This is,
1: yes. this <laughs> right. makes no
2: sense. It's this
3: episode, it's just this constant up and down of things that really make sense and seem relatable and kind of hit you in the gut and then things that just make you go, what?
4: He's having to both be crazy, but also there's this part of him that like is still kind of just sane, but it's hard to buy because he's either like 100%, I am the
2: King of England. And then he has right. these little tiny moments where he's like, I'm totally cognizant of what's going on. This
3: is a very ambitious storyline for for what what are these episodes about 50 minutes
2: yeah i'd say they're roughly like 44 right. 47 minutes that long that sounds
3: right so they really have taken on a lot
2: i'm a little surprised that linda is choosing to be on her father's side
3: I mean, that you just have to buy into, because they really don't explain more about Linda, but she is clearly supportive of her father. I can't imagine she had a drastically different childhood than her brother, besides her nails.
4: Not focusing nearly enough attention on those nails. And getting married. So now we are headed to court and we see John.
3: What? We're going we're going to
2: court. There's no time to... Okay, oh we evidently gosh. live in a world where you can get an interview in a newspaper within six hours of arriving in town and the justice system works fast enough that you can just be like, I'm suing you. See you this afternoon in court at 3 p.m. Be there, Galahad. That's
3: apparently what has happened because they are in court, the Honorable Judge Grace DeWitt is presiding. Jonathan is there serving as attorney. In a black suit,
4: black tie with uh, white dots all over it.
3: Oh, you noticed a lot of details that I missed in this episode.
2: That's
4: my job.
3: Good teamwork.
2: So Michael Landon isn't shy about portraying any sort of occupation whatsoever. No.
3: The attorney for the plaintiff for the son actually stands up and lodges a complaint that Jonathan is not qualified to serve as an attorney.
0: Your Honor, I must protest. It has come to my attention that this man is not an attorney, but Mr. Kroc's handyman. Since the question before us is Mr. Kroc's competence, I'm... Your Honor, I believe you will find documents in front of you that will show that I'm quite capable of appearing in behalf of my employer. I see no such documents. I believe you'll find them under your folder. The yellow folder. Oh. (laughs) This wasn't here a second ago. But it appears to be in order. Thank you. Opening statements. Mr. Hacker.
2: That's so weird. Your law school diploma just is under this yellow folder on my desk.
3: Yeah, presumably, Jonathan is now posing as having gone to law school and passed the bar.
4: It's just that easy, folks. Then he says to the judge, you look really nice in your robe.
3: This court case is wild.
0: Uh, Mr. Uh, Smith. Yes, Your Honor. The issue not only before this court, but between these two men is not one of competency. It's one of love. That's all you have to say, Mr. Smith? I think it says it all. Except that you look very, very nice in your robe. Which
3: my hackles were immediately raised. I just right. thought, What is going yeah, on he's here? Like, oh,
4: you look really nice in that robe of yours.
3: But he does have a point. He is leading somewhere.
4: And she's like, huh? And he's like, if you notice my defendant is also wearing an outfit. Isn't that weird? You
2: have clothes on, he has clothes on, I have clothes on.
3: Judge DeWitt understandably is a little surprised by this remark too, and she says, That's not the issue before the court.
4: And like, oh, where is this going? Good on you.
3: And then Jonathan says, right, just like your clothing is not an issue before this court, my client's clothing is not an issue before this court either.
4: Bam! This Again,
3: is... I like the energy behind it, but we've talked about previously, what somebody is wearing does have a bearing on your impression of that. <laughs> right. And this man is dressed like King Arthur.
2: He's heavily undiagnosed mental problems.
3: Right. And that's something we haven't even talked about, that no. in his little castle world he's created everyone is supporting him in this alternate reality I don't know if anybody has offered to bring in a psychiatrist
2: no this guy has had a mental breakdown he has decided that he is King Arthur
3: and they're just going with it which I I kind of like he bought a whole
2: warehouse of costumes from medieval times in Newark New Jersey
3: if you two were going to pick a fictional character's life to step into can you think of who you would pick Data (laughs) that was
2: fast uh The first thing that came to my head is Marty McFly.
3: Wow. You guys had really quick answers. I just live such a charmed life. I can't imagine wanting a different one. Sure,
4: you don't want to be, what is it, Mrs. Hufflepuff? What about
2: Hermione Gringlehorns?
3: Why do you guys just assume I want to be a lady?
2: Do you want to be a Callisti?
3: When we first got our cat from the animal humane society, she came to us with the name Khaleesi.
4: Oh God! Yeah, yeah.
3: and I said that's too much for this poor little cat. So
4: we came. you up have with... chosen well. Yes. Yeah, we went down and we we're like, okay, what are some names that sound similar to Khaleesi, mm-hmm. but that don't have anything to do with fantasy? <laughs> and so then uh, we thought of uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory.
3: Is that is that what we based it on? That's
4: what I. Did.
2: so this is a lie you've been telling me a lie the whole time you were like hey we got a cat the other day and we named it charlie charlie cat you know, just like Charlie Rat,
4: like your TV show. <laughs> well,
2: it was bound to come out sooner or later.
4: You dead battery. How dare you? Hey, if I'm a dead battery, you're a turkey.
3: What was the insult from the first episode? Somebody got called a beaver face, didn't yes. they? Yes. Oh, I That's totally a good forgot one, that one Mark got
4: already. called a beaver face. <laughs> Mark is kind of a beaver face. Which,
3: by the way, have you noticed somebody who's not been in this episode? Mark.
2: He's probably still tired from running up the steps at, <laughs> in the uh, Masked Rider episode. So no. the first
4: witness that gets called is the housekeeper.
3: We've kind of glossed over the fact that he calls his housekeeper Maid Marian. That has been mentioned a few times. So Isn't
4: she... Maid Marian the daughter
2: of King Arthur <laughs> or know. another one of the girlfriends? No, Maid Marian is Robin Hood's girlfriend. Right,
3: we're crossing yeah. storylines. Maybe yep. she is
2: the daughter of King Arthur, though. Let's say she is. She is. But that doesn't make sense Do you in this storyline. hear me, story trolls? Line. She is. Because
3: She's definitely the maid, not the daughter. I think he might treat her differently. I'm to- just saying <laughs> it's
2: inappropriate to name her maid Marion because that's, according to me, King Arthur's daughter's name.
3: Hold on to that thought for a minute, Sam. Okay.
0: You are Mrs. Charles Buttram. I am. And you are employed as housekeeper to Mr. Arthur Crock Senior. Yes, sir. Mrs. Buttram, does your employer walk about the house dressed as King Arthur? Yes, sir. Does he respond to the name King Arthur? Yes, sir.
4: What
1: does he call you?
0: Maid Marion. No further questions. Your witness, Mr.
4: Smith.
3: Now it's Jonathan's turn to cross-examine the witness.
4: Jonathan first starts off with, Hey, uh, you had a former employer, right? And she's like, uh, yeah, I had a former employer. Years
3: ago, you worked for this man who was a justice on the state Supreme Court. Fun fact thrown in, the judge presiding over this current case was made Marion's former employer's law clerk.
4: She goes, oh yeah, I know that guy. Yeah, I used to be his law clerk. He's like, well, what did he wear around the house?
0: Oh, what did he wear around the house? Yes. Well, if there was nobody, there but him and the missus he didn't wear anything but a towel why was that because that's what he wanted to wear he said it was nobody's business what a man does at home a man's home is his castle you said your employer called you maid marion what's your first name mrs buttram marion and what's your job i'm the maid no further question
3: so she's Maid Marian.
2: Okay, so that I guess that proves that uh, Croc <laughs> Sr. is not insane. Clearly, he can't be busted for calling her Maid Marian I want to know
3: all. where Jonathan went to law school. I mean, God supplied the credentials. Did he actually, Matrix style, just plant the information in his head? Because Jonathan doesn't seem to be like the best lawyer.
4: No. The actress who portrays Maid Marian, her name is Helen Klebe. And I bring her up. Only because in 1976, there was a television miniseries called Eleanor and Franklin.
2: Did you guys mention Eleanor and Franklin last time you were here?
3: That was the title of the book that Jonathan gave to deke jr our amputee gymnast
4: in uh, a fresh glass of lemonade part Mm. one and two that is crazy
3: thanks for doing that research joel you're welcome okay so we we have more trial to go
4: the bulldozer driver gets on stage next john basically says so you're telling me that the owner of the land ordered you and his stuff off of his own land is that correct this guy's totally sane he dresses like the king of cartoons no problem it's just a fashion choice next person that appears is
3: riker jonathan's cross-examining riker
0: Mr. Kroc, do all real estate deals make money? Not all of them, no. And is there any guarantee that all these condos would be sold? No, but this real estate deal looks as good as anyone can. Yeah, but, but there is a risk. There's always a risk. Yeah, on the other hand, if the property remained undeveloped, it would continue to appreciate, wouldn't it, over the years? Isn't that true? Yes, it's true. But to hand it over to a bunch of mutts is just
4: plain crazy. Nobody but a maniac would let a dog interfere with business.
3: We suddenly hear a little dog whine.
4: From the back of the courtroom.
3: We see a little dog nose pushing a door open. And here comes a little fluffy sheepdog crossed with Benji Mutt running into the courtroom, jumps up on the judge's lap.
0: Oh, oh, Fritzy, you naughty boy. You know you're supposed to stay in mommy's office, you naughty, naughty boy. Um, Court will recess for five minutes while I... Take Fitzy back and make sure
2: he's okay. The judge brings a dog to work. You guys were unaware when you walked in today, but somebody just hit my big pet peeve button. So let's open up a vein and talk about it. Go for it. Yeah. Here's my stand, ladies and gentlemen. It makes me very uneasy, Mm -hmm. and I get immediately annoyed when people refer to themselves as the parent of a pet. It makes me really uneasy when I go to the vet and they inoculate my cat. The cat is distressed, so they pick up the cat off their little medical table and pass him back to me and say, oh, here, go back to dad.
3: My vet never says that. (laughs) Um, Sam, I agree with you actually 100%.
2: I'm quite frankly surprised that you're on my side on this one, Rachel. Not to insult you or anything. I just.
3: You know what, Sam? You guys love your cats um, so
2: much that I just thought I was walking into a bee's nest
4: here.
3: I just want to let you know that I also don't spend a lot of time thinking about my nails, just in case you were wondering.
4: Well, that I knew. I referred to our cat as my sibling. That's more palatable for me somehow.
3: That's worse for me (laughs) since we all live
2: together. (laughs) I let my sister sleep on my back. In previous iterations of my life, I've experimented with the online dating experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, these virile young ladies out on the town will describe themselves on their pages as a cat mom and proud or active dog mom.
3: Like Taylor Swift. She is a very proud cat mom. I know you're a big Taylor Swift fan. Not
2: married, never had any kids except my two kitties. Gross. No, thank you. I've
3: never been a fan of that. I love my two cats. I think relationships with animals are wonderful i don't want 200 dogs maybe one Mm -hmm. i would like one dog Mm -hmm. (laughs) but my cats are not my children
2: pets are not people you guys probably aren't surprised to know this i can barely ever let it scrape by (laughs) i can barely ever let it just pass
4: by i'm
3: really glad that you felt comfortable enough to share your true feelings because i know that's hard for you i do put outfits on our cats so i am that person
4: i love when you dress up my little sisters (laughs) (laughs) Our little sisters.
3: We do have an Instagram account at Highway to Heaven Revisited on Instagram. I'm going to go ahead and put up some pictures of our cats because we all know the internet loves cats. So if you're interested, we'll introduce the cats on Instagram. How do you feel about that, guys?
4: It's a great idea. We should uh, maybe get a Mark and Jonathan outfits for them. (laughs) I mean... Why stop there? I see a whole calendar.
3: Sam, will you let me dress up your cat? How do you
2: feel uh, about that? I would let you. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure if Sybil would be so into it. Sister Sybil. I
4: don't know Sibyl.
1: her that
2: well. <laughs> All
4: right, Joel, you're really grinding my gears here. So, <laughs> the, so the judge is like, you know, let's have a 10-minute recess while I put my dog away. John says to the judge, says, hey, wait a second, before we go into recess...
0: Could you just have the court reporter read back Mr. Croft Jr.'s last statement? I didn't hear it. The reporter will uh, repeat the last answer. Nobody but a maniac would let a dog interfere with business. I repeat, court is recessed. Unless you wish to call my competency into doubt as well.
4: Busted. I didn't like this part. No, I didn't either. The logic didn't feel sound. And she shouldn't have her dog at the office. I was
2: impressed that there was only one dog that came into the courtroom <laughs> because as soon as you said dogs, yeah. a dog was coming into the courtroom. I thought it was just going to be two hundred dogs. And then the dogs and then all a came in. laughing montage.
3: I think they were all carrying sacks with letters saying why all the dogs wanted the property to stay with the old lady. Oh. That's what I picture.
2: We've all signed a partition. Uh. <laughs> Oh, no. Hey, Judge, look at this paw We all
4: signed it.
3: Oh.
4: All right, so court's in recess.
3: And I think we just had a commercial break.
4: The judge's sister dog gets put away, and then we have King Arthur on the stand.
2: Was he wearing a fancier outfit than normal for <laughs> being at court?
3: No, I don't think so. Jonathan is very careful with what he says. He doesn't come out and call him King Arthur, but he says something like, this is a man known by many names, one of which is occasionally, king arthur jonathan says to king arthur hypothetical question you're a king you're a man of wisdom a man of honor something like that a man who's ruled over many if you were this fellow arthur crock senior what would you do in this dispute and so so this
2: must just cure king arthur's mental illness
3: king arthur says if i was ruling over this dispute what i would do is let the fair lady keep her land for five years and during that time i would court her and persuade her to make my home, her home, as well as all the animals.
2: Just hypothetically speaking, if I was that guy, who I'm not, I would let that crazy dog lady stay on my piece of property for five years and intensely try to date her until she moved in with me. Yes. Yes.
3: And they do cut to Guinevere for a reaction shot. She's down with this idea.
2: Yeah, she has been the mayor of Dog (laughs) City for far too long. She wants a little bit of the bone town with the king.
3: I like to picture all the dogs just running around in the castle, too, because it's a really big castle castle it's dog city dogs are taken over and then king arthur has a little more there's just so many speeches he in gives this a one. speech yeah and basically he says something about empire was built company was built with good intentions blah 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 we should give it to the person who wants it and expects it he says give the company to my
2: son he's not actually speaking from the point of view of arthur crock senior not... is he somehow still talking in third person or something
3: well things are starting to crack sam king arthur still referring to his son as him so he said i would give him the empire and i would give him something that money can't buy a father's love dramatic pause and then jonathan says what is your name sir arthur looks around more dramatic pausing and he says
0: i am a lucky man who has all the love of a daughter who accepts me no matter what i choose to call myself love of friends old and new who defend me and don't want to hurt me, Jonathan. You haven't answered my question. Who are you? I am that young man's father.
3: I need no armor, neither real or of the mind. Nor any protection, nor any crown to stand before you and say, I love you, son. King Arthur gets up and starts walking over to his son. King Arthur says to Riker, I love you. I love you, my boy. And then Riker's lawyer says, Objection, Your Honor. The witness has not answered the question. He has not said who he is. To which Riker
4: says, Yes, he has, hacker. Yes, yes he, he has. has. And then the judge says,
3: Case dismissed.
4: And she's wiping her eyes. <laughs>
3: King Arthur and his son hug.
2: What a parody of the U.S. legal system. This is
3: not a professional court of law.
2: We got dogs at work, guys in (laughs) cosplay costumes leaving the special chair. You have to sit in the special chair. That's where you tell the truth, in the special chair.
3: Yeah, he just walked right across the courtroom.
2: The dog and pony show.
3: Literally. Only wish Galahad the horse had been called on to testify as well.
2: So there's not much more of this show left, thank goodness. How do we wrap up this yarn we're gonna
3: finish up back at the castle again we're in an outdoor patio area and they appear to be having some kind of party a little celebration uh, i party, was gonna ask you if
4: there was a barbecue
3: there's waiters carrying around trays what else would you expect really
4: everyone is dressed in light colored polo shirts including king arthur oh he's out of the fancy duds who looks very much like george bush senior look
3: all those old white men look alike
4: it's true
3: <laughs> we're at that point aren't we and the guys john, are packing up to john leave. and mark are packing up to leave
2: we had something. Was it the angel goodbye? The I, angel goodbye? Uh, it is
3: now. <laughs> the angel goodbye.
2: And the deviled eggs came out, and that's far
4: too offensive.
3: They're being a little more obvious this time. Jonathan and Mark are saying goodbye to the family. They say, we have to go. We have another job.
4: They say, no, 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 stay. We'll double your pay.
2: I'm glad they brought it up again, because I was going to say something about that.
3: Jonathan says, I can't. He's talking to the son, Riker, and he says to Riker, I can't. Your father, King Arthur, made me promise not to serve any earthly kings. Arthur puts his hand on Jonathan's shoulder and says, goodbye, my friend.
2: And that's the end.
3: Yep, Jonathan and Mark get in their car and drive off.
2: So Arthur Sr., despite not being dressed for the part, he seemed to still be very kingly in his delivery of those last few lines. That's true. Did you feel like he was still suffering from that duplicity of personality, or was he... He was was...
4: cured all right. That's a reference to that Stanley Kubrick movie. Clockwork Orange?
2: Yeah, I'm cured all right. I only saw bits of that on a bio toilet papering adventure. That's
4: right. You missed the end. Why you bring that up again? You know how I feel about that. I really appreciate it. And I'm going to just keep poking it with sticks until the scab uh, is completely healed.
3: What would Jonathan do? What would Jonathan
4: do, Joel? He would kick the crutch.
3: Have I talked about bringing that back? WWJD? What would
4: Jonathan do? Hey, if you're looking for your your lower back tattoo, Sam.
2: (laughs) WWJPD. What would Jonathan Price do? It's not Price, Jonathan Davies. No, Smith. Smith. It's Jonathan Smith. (laughs) Oh, WWJSD. What would Jonathan
4: Smith do? I really want his last name to be Price. I just can't help it. We know you do. You've called him Victor Price, Jonathan Price, Jonathan Gallo, Vincent Gallo. We know who
2: you're talking about. Well, that was a, a heck of an adventure.
4: I'm a little disappointed to hear that
2: there were no character actors present in quantum leap episodes that were featured in this show but let's get right to it guys this was this was complicated it is interesting that a young jonathan frakes is cutting his teeth in a side role it was fun to see him let's talk about what the moral of the story is for me the moral of the story i guess is if you're rich enough that you spent all of your life making money and ignoring your kids there's an easy way to never deal with that. Just pretend you're king on a mountain until everybody believes you and they will leave you alone because they think you're so dang crazy.
4: I would say the moral that I found was keep everything in balance. Or is that a moderation in everything kind of a thing? I feel like that was the, the moral of this lesson and not to bring your sibling pets to work.
2: What about you, Rachel? Any takeaways?
3: You know what? I I actually do have a little more of a serious one, even though this was just so much of an episode to get through. My goodness. But the thing that I did really like was the way that Jonathan interacted with King Arthur when he first met him and throughout the series, Mm -hmm. that he just very respectfully stepped into King Arthur's reality. I think that is something that most people are not going to do. We don't really know what King Arthur's mental break was. Nobody diagnosed him because his family apparently didn't bring in anyone to deal with the situation, but Jonathan just accepted him as he was. And I think that's a very difficult thing for people to do. So I I really enjoyed that part of it.
4: Yeah, the interactions between Jonathan and the king, they were rather charming.
3: We joke and you know quote our way through these episodes, but they do a good job of presenting the information very sincerely.
4: Yeah, as an audience member, you feel like you take the king more seriously than the people who live in the world with him.
2: Okay, uh, I have nothing more to add. This was not my favorite episode you guys have ever described to me. There were antics. I'm glad there was a jousting uniform. I'm a little upset that the dogs didn't flood the courtroom.
3: (laughs) They didn't show very many dogs for as much as we talked about 200 dogs. Mm -hmm. We see three. We see three dogs.
2: Well, uh, Rachel and Joel, you guys already mentioned that there was a pretty decreased mark factor in this episode, Mm -hmm. but we all know is that the scale in which we measure episodes is not the Victor French mark scale. It is the Michael Landon factor. On a scale of 1 to 10, guys, how do you rate the Michael Landon factor of Season 1, Episode 8?
3: I actually Actually, believe the Michael Landon factor is higher in this episode but I don't know that I would recommend it as an episode to jump in and watch it's not the best representation of the series that we've seen thus far but Michael has some great speeches there's a lot of credentials and things just showing up there's the spikes going into the car I guess I'm just gonna go with my gut and give it uh, six and a half. Six point five.
2: to Rachel. Yes.
4: Joel, how about you? When it comes to the land effect of like the charm and charming the viewer over, that doesn't happen very often. I'd probably give it a five, but I want to dock it a point because of what they left on the cutting room floor. That's the moment where you see him win over the main character. I'm going to give it four points.
2: So I guess that equals a 5.25? I think so. We have been, and we are done, thankfully, (sighs) reviewing episode eight of season one, A Divine Madness.
3: Yeah, this was probably the most heavy one to get
2: through. But somehow there's no room for Victor French in this episode, and usually you can rely on Victor French for a couple yucks along the way. Yeah, I wonder
3: what got cut for him. Because he's at the very start, he's polishing the sword, and then he does show up in the courtroom.
2: And he is there to say goodbye. Somebody's got to drive to that next job. Because he doesn't have an angel magic driver's license. Maybe he can't make IDs and things. He can't make money or IDs of any form.
3: It really just depends on if he needs it.
2: He can make a law school diploma but he can't make a driver's license
3: in the lemonade episodes jonathan became a physical therapist which means he gave himself a doctorate and now this episode he's given himself a law degree i don't know if it was his choice or if it was the big boss but yeah those are some pretty serious credentials to be throwing around
2: i'm feeling a little conflicted about all of this today
3: the people that jonathan and mark are leaving behind for the most part their lives have been improved so is it all worth it little bit of lying here and there a little bit of credential fudging is it all worth it for the greater good that's really our moral lesson
2: i how, guess so how much are
3: we okay with lying
2: in the case of the courtroom scene today i would say no i'm not on <laughs> i'm not on michael landon's side today but you know i have been on his side for other things all right ladies and gentlemen let us know if this is your absolute favorite episode of <laughs> highway to heaven and Please. have a lot of rebuttals to make because this one was not a favorite of mine and certainly not one that I think Joel and Rachel would recommend to many friends. Follow along on the exploits of Highway to Heaven Revisited by hooking up with us on Instagram. That's at Highway to Heaven Revisited. If you would like, you can send Joel and Rachel or maybe even me an email. I'm especially talking to you, Allison Duty. <laughs> All right, that wraps up episode six of Highway to Heaven Revisited, and we look forward to you joining us for the next episode. We sure do.
4: Thanks, See? everybody.
1: Bye. Next time on Highway to Heaven Revisited. My son better be all right. Your son will
0: be very surprised to hear that you cared. What are you talking about? I feel very sorry for you, Mr. K. You're a hero to strangers. And a stranger to your own children. Come on, you need help. Would you give me the gun. I warned you, man! It's a no-no.
1: Highway to Heaven Revisited is the galaxy's only podcast offering a comprehensive view of Michael Landon's classic 1980s television series, Highway to Heaven. Do you want to watch along with Rachel and Joel? Highway to Heaven is streaming almost anywhere. Check your favorite streaming platform to see if it is available. Please follow, Highway to Heaven Revisited on Instagram. That's at, Highway to Heaven Revisited. Do you have a question or comment for the hosts or moderator? Call the, Hotline to Heaven. The number is, 612-356-2495. That number again is, 612-FLOW-BIZ-5. Your message might be played on the show. Or, send the show an email at highwaytoheavenrevisited at gmail.com. Your message might be featured on the show. If you have time, please rate and review Highway to Heaven Revisited on iTunes. If you like this podcast, please share it with a friend. Theme music composed by Brian Just. Thank you for listening, and be sure to join the gang for the next episode. Highway to Heaven Revisited is a Channel 3 TV production.